0: here's what's coming up on this episode of the beaver tales podcast
1: you know his one famous thing that I always remember is it's it's my way or the highway and I five runs north and south. And if you don't like it you can get on it. I mean, that's, <laughs> I've heard him say that a lot.
0: Stay tuned for the whole conversation we've got on this episode of the podcast. First, I'd like to mention one of the nonprofits that I give some free advertising to on this podcast. And today I'm mentioning food for the hungry food for the hungry helps empower people with education, resources, preparation for the next stage of life and exiting a life of poverty. Their work all around the the globe has changed lives and they're doing that every day you can sponsor a family a child donate money and get involved there's a link in the description but you can find them at fh.org that's food for the hungry at fh.org all right on to the episode
1: this is the beaver tales podcast with josh Wharton, who has covered oregon state athletics since 2013
0: Thank you once again for joining the Beaver Tales podcast. I chat with former Oregon State student-athletes to learn their story both at Oregon State, what they've learned and done ever since then. My name is Josh Worden, and I hope to be covering Oregon State athletics myself for a long time. And speaking of a guy who's been involved with Oregon State for a long time, starting back in the 80s, Charlie Sitton joins me today on the podcast. An honor to talk with one of the most legendary Oregon State basketball players, Of all time. Top 10 all time in scoring at OSU, three time all conference, two time All American, an Oregon Sports Hall of Famer, and Oregon State University Athletic Hall of Fame inductee. He played for some great teams in the 80s, making the NCAA tournament three times, winning nearly 80% of games during his career. Charlie Sitton was a second-round pick in the 1984 NBA draft by the Dallas Mavericks, played one season in the league, and then went to Europe to play professionally. He's also a gold medalist, representing the United States men's basketball team, winning the 1983 Pan American Games in Venezuela. Charlie's come back to Oregon since returning from his European professional basketball career. He now owns the Century Hotel and the conjoined Hayden's Grill that's in Tualatin. We talk about that, some stories from legendary coach Ralph Miller, and a lot of other topics through this fun conversation. So here is the native of McMinnville, Oregon. Please welcome Charlie Sitton. Charlie, thanks for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to touch on an era that I haven't gotten to yet on the podcast in the, the 80s basketball. And I'm hoping to get Steve Johnson on, too, and maybe put your episodes back to back. But thanks for coming on the podcast today.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, let's start with from the beginning, some childhood memories growing up in McMinnville, Oregon. Not, not just basketball wise, but partly how you were growing into a basketball player at that point. But what was it like growing up in the 60s and 70s in McMinnville?
1: Yeah, well, it was smaller, obviously it's, it's grown a lot. Um, the wine industry has been good to Yamhill County where I grew up. Um, you know, back when I was there, it was farming and logging, um, a little bit of industry. We had, uh, we had a steel mill in McMinnville, um, was there, but not oh, Smith's pies, but not really much industry. Uh, mostly it was driven by farming and logging and, uh, uh, the logging has kind of gone away. There's still a couple guys trying to do the logging, but most of the logging has kind of gone away. And there's still quite a bit of farming, but the, the wine industry has really created a lot of uh, new business, new industry in in the Yamhill Carlton area where I kind of grew up um, on you know on what's on the west north side of McMinnville. So it's uh, it was a great experience. Small town, um, you know. This you know we were we were the it's kind of like what the Hoosiers where we were the basketball we were with a small town, weren't supposed to be able to compete against the big cities. And then, uh, we had a good class of kids that, that I grew up with Had three kids. And then Chris Winkler was in the class below me. And, uh, so we had a good run there and, um, it was fun. It was great. You know, family, uh, oriented. grew up on a farm, worked every day, didn't have time for vacations, didn't have time to do what everybody thinks they need to be doing now. And so it was, uh, it was, that I think really helped me ingrain a work ethic into me that, uh, has helped me not only in basketball, but in the businesses that I'm in now. And, uh, my cousins still farm our, we have a family farm. Um, there's probably close to 2000 acres that has been many generations that's uh sit a farm. And so my, I have two cousins now that are still farming it. And then, um, yeah, my sisters moved back out there and, and it's, uh, it's, it was a great city to live in, but it's, it's growing like everything else. And, uh, you know, I, I used to think, gosh, I can't wait to get out of here. Um, and now I go back to McMinnville and I think, man, this isn't such a bad place. Out here. <laughs> place so. That's
0: great. I, I know you didn't go to the same high school as Pat Casey, but since you're both from McMinnville, did you cross paths with him much growing up?
1: You know, I didn't cross paths much with him growing up. Um, I learned um, after the fact that my mom, ma- our moms actually went to high school together. Huh. And I didn't know that until I um, had met Pat later, I guess, at Oregon State. Um, and then I ran into his mother at different places, different events. His mom and dad actually had a great visit with him back in Omaha when I was back there and when they won the championship. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I uh, knew of him. I knew of the Casey family because there were so many of them. Um, but they were obviously in Newburgh. We were McMinnville, big rivalry. And then he's a little bit older, so we really never crossed paths athletically like in sports. Um, so I never really, um, you know, didn't really cross paths with him, I guess, is the answer. Yeah, I never really sure. seen much of him. Talked about a great career, man. What a guy. What a great motivator. And, uh, yeah, he's uh, got to know him real well, already State, and what a phenomenal job he did.
0: The funny thing about talking of... Of the national championship in Omaha is that the next question is well which one so w- which time in Omaha were you yeah there? well I
1: went I didn't go in 06 and 07 I should have gone I had a cousin Craig was on the team in 07 um, and I should have gone um, he was also from the Carlton area back up I believe pitcher but I had kids in sports and I had and that's when my kids were busy I, I have two I have a son um, CJ who's 25 and a daughter who's 27 and so um, that's right when they were in the middle of all kinds of sports and activities. And so it was really difficult. I just didn't see myself heading out there, but I did get out there for both this last swan song or the last two years. I was there the year with uh, both, both, I went made two trips out there. Actually the championship year, I went made two trips. Like I'm like, I'm getting too old. I don't know if I'll ever see another national championship from Oregon State. So I'm not going to miss this. And so I went out for the first week, came home, got some work done. And then I went back and got up for the, was there when they, they won the championship. So it was, one of the cooler things I've ever ever witnessed, that and the the complete, you know, use of better term, ass whipping that Erickson's team did it in the Fiesta Bowl, were two of the greatest uh, events I've seen lately. Um, other than when I was playing, <laughs> so anyway, it was. Those were two really cool things that I'll never forget in Boise State. Um, you know, since I was gone.
0: Yeah. That one of the projects I'm working on not only this podcast with former athletes, but I'm working on a documentary project. This is my little plug for the for the project where I'm interviewing a bunch of players from that 2018 baseball squad as well as the coaches. I've talked with Pat Casey talked with um, you know reporters and players and all that from 2018 to kind of narrate through that. Uh, post-season do like an audio documentary and anyone who is there or has some connection with the team is always interesting to hear their perspective so what was your memory of I mean if you ran into Pat Casey in 2018 and watching that team win the championship
1: well you know he was it was it was really kind of surreal because they you know that one you know, cat catches a foul ball it's over you know <laughs> so it was but it was um the, the underlying stories were pretty cool. I, I, I've I known Jack Anderson a long time. He played sports with my kids, and so I've known him a long time. And, uh, you know, from Jack Anderson's story of going into Pat Casey's office and saying, hey, you'll never play center field for me. You're not you're – not, you know, you need to go somewhere else. You're not – you know, I'm looking for a different type of person. And Jack just kept – walked on, kept working at it, kept, you know, this, this, and this. And he came all, you know, all Pac-12. And then, you know, when when the center field child gets hurt, they ended up uh, – you know, he ends up starting in the championship game in center field. It was just, it was really kind of a cool thing. And, uh, and so there was just that. And, and then, um, you know, I ran into a buddy of mine, Joe Klein, who I played with and, you know, played in the NBA. We played a lot of of AAU basketball, not AAU back in the day. There was like the small tournaments against one another. We actually took a trip to Notre Dame together, a recruiting trip. So I've known him for a long time and he was an Arkansas fan. And so it was fun to joke around with him, but but the the way it turned out, the drop of the foul ball, and then coming back and just uh, you know home run, base hit, you know it was just like it was typical. Pat, this the, the, the true grit of that team was was pretty amazing. Um, and then uh, you know the the um, the, this, the, the next day that we just they were so demoralized that they just came in. And then obviously Abel pitched so great, and it was just uh, this was really cool, really cool. It was neat to see a lot of. I, a lot of people traveled, you know, and and a lot of saw so a lot of people. It's kind of a nice, cool group that we had. And I'd never been to Omaha except for the year before. And it, they do a great job with it. It's really a cool little community, and um, you know, it was just a great experience. Really was. But I was, I was in awe, and I, I, uh, yeah, I still am. It's, it was a pretty cool thing. Obviously, Rutschman, from his dad went to school with my sister, and I've known the rutchmans a long time, so. I don't know Adley that well, but I know the family well, and uh, I enjoyed teasing um, his grandpa. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed teasing him, telling him that finally figured it out. It took many, many years to figure it out, but he finally got rid of that purple and red and got some orange and black on and figured it out. So it was, <laughs> it was fun. It was a good time. I, I I enjoyed the years. I went also went down, watched him play a couple of years there at, uh in Surprise, which is a good time to go see, and so. Mm. And Pat was always, they were always good to me. And it was a—it uh, was just fun to be around it. It really was. It was cool group of kids. And I, I always admired the kids just took time to to be, meet, greet, you know, little kids afterwards and kids. And I think that the class of the organization is something that hopefully we see it again, but the way things are going, I don't know if you'll ever see it again. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. It's the weird times. Now we got all this other stuff going on and everybody's their own opinions and i i I think it's going to be really hard to ever see anything like that again but hopefully Mm -hmm. hopefully
0: yeah a lot of a lot of amazing stories and definitely worth savoring for multiple reasons especially with no baseball this season and who knows what happens in the future but that that was a fantastic team and i'm glad you got to to witness that to come back to your story a little bit one of the things i wanted to touch on was playing for ralph miller and even even before you actually came to oregon state to begin with of what was recruiting like in the late 70s to your senior year in high school which i guess would have been 1980 and ralph miller recruiting what what was that experience like for you
1: well it's obviously way different um <laughs> you know i uh i was recruited by pretty much everybody i took trips to um recruiting trips to ucla and duke and notre dame and uh Oh, I went to went to Oregon Oregon State the same day just drove down to those two schools and had dinner and then I went to Washington State because George traveling was I enjoyed George a lot and I went, I'd been to his team his camp a couple of times and so I thought he was a pretty special kind of guy so it was it was pretty cool I mean I uh, but they you know they they came out some guys like digger Phelps came to McMinnville and watched me play a summer league game and everybody in McMinnville's like oh my god you know digger Phelps is in town and I was like you know it would been really I don't know affect me a whole lot, but it it was, you know, I, I got a call from Bobby Knight to see if I was interested in coming out to Indiana, if I was going to leave that far away from home, and I basically said no, nah, I'm not probably going to stick closer to home, and he's that's it, and then hung up, and then the story, and so I, you know, I I was very fortunate, and I I was very blessed to be, I guess, good enough, you know, I was, they said I was the number one kid in the country my my junior or senior one year, and so I. That was pretty cool, and then I play got to play in the McDonald's games, which was was a lot of fun. I got to meet a lot of guys that went on to play quite a bit in the NBA, and you know met some pretty cool guys through that that I've kind of kept kept in touch with. So it's been um, it's it was it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I was the what, most valuable player in the D.C. McDonald's game with uh, Earl Jones, and then I I met some you know played with, you had several guys: Darren Day, Michael Holton, um, Rod Foster. Or I think those guys were all at. Um, in the one in in out here on the west coast in California in the Bay Area so it was uh it was pretty cool I met Bill Walton for the first time and after that I walked outside and here was um Rod Ralph Jackson and and um and uh, Kenny Fields and uh they were standing with Larry Brown after practice and Bill Walton walked up and he was like my idol and Bill was like well they introduced me to him and I shook his hand and then he said well too bad you Larry Brown said we recruited him but he said, stay home, go to ring state. And Bill looked at me and said, well, you're too bad you're going to have to lose to UCLA for the next four years. And I thought "You son of a gun. So I, uh, I only lost to him twice in eight games. So I, 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 was, uh, I was, I was, I always took that upon myself to try to <laughs> to try to compete a little harder against those guys. But it was, um, it was fun. And he was, you know, I met him later and we joked about it and it, it went on, but it was, um, high school recruiting is, is definitely changed. And it's, it's, I, you know, I'm old school, and and you know, I'm 58, and so it, it's it's horrible now. It's really horrible. I mean, it's uh, from the way it is now, and the way they everybody's going to be an all-American, and everybody's going to be at a college scholarship, and uh, you know, it's just gone to the point where uh, you know, it's it's you know, everybody's getting paid under the table, and it's just it's crappy. It really is. It's just a crapshoot, and uh, and it's it's too bad because. You know, college sports, I think, should be college sports. It shouldn't be – you shouldn't have paid, you know, players there. Your parents shouldn't have got a car. Your parents should have got a house. Shouldn't got this. Shouldn't have got that. So, I uh, I think it's really got to a point, and I'm I'm, pretty sure – I'm not 100% sure, but the shoe companies kind of ruined it for everybody mm-hmm. um, because they – the ones that figured out if they could find the next LeBron James or Michael Jordan or whatever and get them tied up when they're sixth or seventh graders, we can, we can make this work. But – you know, my son played um, Westland High School basketball at Westland. Uh, played on two state championship teams. Um, wasn't a starter, but he came off the bench and played. And uh, and I when I he traveled and played and some different stuff in the Vegas and all the stuff that they did. And it was just really really interesting to watch and see how it, how it's changed from when I was recruited as the number one player in the country in 1980 to where it is now to where it's just. It's it's really bad. There's a lot of guys making a lot of money on a lot of kids. That's all I know. A lot of guys making a lot of money on kids, and it's 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 a shame. They they and they should clean it up. But money talks and BS walks, and who knows if they'll ever clean it up. But it's 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 hard to watch anymore.
0: Since you played for Ralph in the early '80s, and he basically coached the entirety of the '70s and '80s, you kind of got him at the heart of his career, kind of halfway through, two thirds through at in Corvallis. Do you have a a classic Ralph Miller story, a moment interacting with him, coaching your team, what comes to mind of of classic Ralph Miller stories?
1: Oh, he was, you know, his one famous thing I always remember is it's, it's my way or the highway and I-5 runs north and south. And if you don't like it, you can get on it. And that's, (laughs) I've heard him say that a lot. And then, uh, you know, one time I was, I came off 80 and, uh, was it 83 the pan-american team and we won a gold medal in caracas and and then we took this oregon state team and we had a couple of football players a couple of guys filling in to uh and we went to venezuela after that one of those trips you get every four years you do and so we went down there and our team wasn't playing very well and i kind of took an attitude on ralph because i thought i was higher bigger than god because i won a gold medal and did all this and so um ralph you know he got tired of my bullshit so he went and I got off the bus one day and he walked over to me and says, you're not happy here. I'll have your ticket for you tomorrow. You can go home. And I was just like, boom, put me right in my place. And I was like, Oh Jesus, now what do I do? So I had to call Jimmy and Jimmy, I said, Jimmy, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I don't feel bad about leaving my teammates. And, and Ralph was just, if you don't, want to be here don't be here you know it was this simple This, you know he he had a play he had a way of putting people into place and in a good way I mean it, it, it needed to be done I'm not saying that I deserved it totally deserved it but I stuck it out and we played and had you know ended up finishing the right way and it was good but, you know the other thing I always thought I uh I I'd always admired him about is if you were going to his office um anytime during the day he was typically in there. um He'd have a yellow notepad, and he would be returning most letters. He hand-wrote most letters returning to people. Um, like people would email him stuff, but he was always in the right and something almost every time I went in there, and he'd always drop the pen and probably light up a cigarette, and then he'd start BSing. And, and By the time you were done, whatever you thought was on your mind that you needed to talk to him about, by the time you are done, you always end up talking about his uh, place in Blackview. He loved his place in Blackview, and <laughs> it always revolved. Everything ended up, whatever's on your mind, Charlie. You know, school, classes, whatever. It basketball. It always went back to well, you know, and then he'd get to talking about his house in Blackview. So it was. Uh, he had a way of he had a, he definitely had a way of of. Um, of handling kids people i mean but he but he ran off a lot of good players i mean there was a kid daryl neal came in played with me a couple of years and he came in and he just didn't fit into Ralph's style i mean it wasn't it was apparent he wasn't going to fit in and he ended up going to alabama and becoming all e and lester just about didn't make it through i mean lester and ralph butted heads and lester was from oakland and he was kind of hard-headed like most kids like i was when we i came in we're all that way and you know, all we have been told how great we were and um and Ralph took him a while to kind of get him, you know, in his system and, and uh, what he wanted done and how he wanted it done. And once he kind of bought in, it he was obviously became a great basketball player. And so, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see now with the shot clock and the way kids are. I, I, I still think he'd figure out he, he's kind of a – he would have figured out a way to win, um, but it definitely would be different um, if he was uh, coaching today. And I told somebody the other day, I honestly don't think uh, lots of times in the beginning of the year, Ralph even had a practice plan. Mm. I think he'd just show up and he, he, his three things was, you know, three lane rush, um, figure eight, and, and three on three full court. And, and if he, he'd give you a number of those first two drills, and if you got them like 12 or 15, and you could go down and back and get the number 12 without doing them exactly right, you get through those the first couple times, and then you do a three on three. And then I don't know if he really had anything else planned. <laughs> I think he just wanted to see us run and get in shape. And that three on three was his bread and butter. He loved to see guys play defense and um, and get down and help one another. On the you know trap guys when they turn their backs, and he was uh, he loved that part of it. But he was. He was good. He won a lot of games. He, he, but like I'll, you know, I'll say to this day that he did it his way all the way to his grave. Man, he did it. Whatever he wanted to do, he did it his way. <laughs> if you didn't like it, like I said earlier, I fives north and south. It goes, runs every day. Get on it. So um, it, I was fortunate that I fit in pretty well with him. Um, you know, he recruited Jimmy was the nice guy. Ralph was the bad guy. <laughs> good cop, bad cop. And um, it was a good system, a good program, and we were fortunate that, you know, that class of Johnson, Radford, Bloom, Stout, McShane, you know, they kind of took the lumps and kind of got things started. And then uh, and then we were able to get some good guys coming in after that and, you know, myself, AC, and, you know, we had we had good guys that could come in and play. And Rick Berry came and played one year with us. And so it was uh, it was good. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun.
0: That's one of the topics that's interesting about Ralph's coaching style is that there's pros and cons to it. If it if some guys need that to be put in their place a little bit and will be brought back to a more humble state and playing hard and other guys will rub them the wrong way. And you might almost lose a Lester Connor or whoever it may be. And other coaches who maybe take a softer approach may keep the star players happier or more coddled but you might also not get the best out of everybody there's pros and cons so in your opinion of Ralph's style how successful would you pit the extreme of one side to a I mean I don't know if Jimmy and Ralph are on exact polar opposites but they're certainly not the same how would you characterize which one tends to be the most successful or maybe it depends on the player it's all relative to each squad and team but what do you think?
1: Well, I think it depends on the squads. I mean, we, you know, we had a, some really good players on those that, like that 80 team, especially. And it would have been interesting if he would have maybe opened it up a little bit more just to see what, you know, everybody could. And if the shot clock could have really helped that us as players, maybe open it up a little bit more. I mean, if Steve didn't touch the ball, you weren't going to really play. I mean, Steve had to touch the ball every time down the floor. So, you, you know, you're, you know, that's where it's going to go. And so, Christ, my one of my preseason games against Portland State, I went eleven for eleven. But shit, the ball has you're gonna Steve's gonna touch it. Okay, he's gonna touch the ball. So all right, all right, all right, we got that. So that's the way it was gonna be. And so a lot of guys I know would have been pretty interested to see if we if we could open it up a little bit more possibly it might have helped going and it probably would have helped us like when we run into like teams like Kansas State, you know, we when we get beat in that last game. If we'd opened it up and everybody was kind of more used to You know, doing some stuff on their own, and we had some more stuff kind of set for their own themselves. It might have been, you know, might have been a little easier if we could have had something else, used Steve as a decoy and had something else to run off of, you know, because we had all the, we had some, well, that was, that was a hell of a team. That was, there was, there's a lot of guys that play basketball on that team and and defend. And, and, um, that was, that was a special team. That really was. And then the next year, you know, we weren't supposed to be very good, but Lester came in and kind of loosened everything up. That was Ralph's, I think biggest problem is, is when we get in the playoffs, he kind of shrink everything down, everything got shrunk down. So it was kind of, it was kind of confined and, and he wanted a certain way and, you know, ball touches inside and, and then, and then, um, and then when you get to the playoffs, it even kind of shrunk down even more. And so that's why I think we kind of struggled in the playoffs, other than the one year when Lester came in. And Lester was the loosey goosey kind of guy and happy go lucky. And, you know, Ralph, you know, he just kind of said, you know, we, we, we it was a lot looser team, a lot looser team because of Lester. And we weren't supposed to be very good. And we went and played. All those guys graduated. We went to BYU and beat those guys. They only lost to Ainge and a good team in, in front of 23,000. The Mormons and it was a, it was a good win and, and we had a, that was a good team too and that's the year we got furthest away we got the final eight till we ran into Georgetown but that was a looser team we played a lot looser um, and uh, the other team had way more talent but it kind of kind of got tight at the end and it just didn't uh, didn't work out for us but Ralph was Jimmy was really more little laid, laid back he was obviously the recruiter um, Ralph was the closer. Uh, recruiting and um, but Jimmy was kind of the guy who uh, you know would get a hold of kids and and, um, recruit them and find them and do that kind of stuff and then Ralph would come in and kind of close the deal but you know Jimmy was the was the good guy so when you had an issue you you could go talk to him too as well as Ralph the door was always open but you never you always were kind of intimidated by Ralph and didn't really know what kind of response you're gonna get until you got your after you've been around him a couple of years but your freshman, sophomore year, if you had an issue, you always go see Jimmy and see you know, if he could help you out with something. It was a different – kind of an interesting group, um, but it, it worked. And, uh, you know, like I said, that team of – that 80 class of Johnson and those guys, Radford and Bloom, you know, that class in the state of Oregon, you know, in 79 when you had Ainge and Bloom and Radford and Stout were all undefeated in the semifinals of the state tournament. That, that's what basketball was about. You know, everybody had to win games. You didn't – not everybody made the playoffs. You know, you had to win some games to make the playoffs in, in high school sports. And you know, I think we lost uh, – when they changed the state of Oregon to well, how many of the leagues they got now, single A, double A, triple A, whatever it is, everybody makes the playoffs. So it really doesn't matter if you play or not. You know, we're going to make the playoffs. And I I think that's kind of what – you know, I, 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 that wasn't good for the state of Oregon basketball. Really Yeah. But that year, I don't think you'll ever find it. Sure, they had good run with Love and Singler, but they didn't have four undefeated teams that were playing all the good teams all the time. You know, Wiltshire wins two state championships, three, four state championship at Jesuit, but he never played against Jefferson. Mm. You know, he never played against Jefferson, and because they were in the they were in the foray or whatever the hell it was, they were league down. They played in Corvallis and won with Jones and the two Jones boys. So. Sure, Jesuit won four, but you really did. You really play the best teams in the state every year because they spread them up. So yeah. um, that's – but that class with those four guys that, you know, Ainge – three of them came to Oregon State. Ainge obviously went to BYU. But that really set the tone of, of – uh, Oregon State was good before that, but it, they, they definitely took it to another level. Yeah. And, and it made it easy for guys like – you know, when it came time for me to be my – get recruited, they had – Dwayne Allen was graduating and all those – so they kind of had a spot. So it was easy, easy decision for me to stay at Oregon State and then my family got to watch me play and it was, it was, it was, it was a good experience. It really was. It was
0: yeah. A lot of guys staying, staying home, more guys tended to play for the close school. You, you even mentioned, well, you're talking about the, the, you know, ball's got to go through Steve Johnson style and you're 11 for 11 game. That was, well, that was against another Oregon school. That was against Portland State, right? The one that you were talking
1: about? Yeah. That was just the preseason game in Portland State in the mm-hmm. Memorial Coliseum and, and yeah, I've it just, you know, I guess I started, just got to shoot the ball. I don't know. <laughs> I forgot <never laughs> to shoot it much, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was, um, it was, it was fun. I, I, but I, you know, I, I, Steve was a great player and I mean, he could seal a guy. And if you get it down into him, I mean, he, what you see? I think he still, if he doesn't still and Maybe the guy just broke it the other day. He told me maybe his, his record for the field goal percentage, but he was very good, very good player. And, and Ralph helped him a ton about how to seal guys and, and got the ball to him and obviously he was, it helped. And then it got him and they put a long time after, after in State. So he was obviously very talented, um, but you know, Radford played a couple of years, you know, there, there was a lot of guys bloom, you know, Lester, there was several guys on that team that, that were good. Um, and so it was, uh, it, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a pretty amazing team, pretty amazing team. Yeah,
0: let's touch on life after basketball for you as we kind of touch on a lo- couple of final topics for this episode. Now, once you finished playing at Oregon State, played a little bit in the NBA and overseas in Europe and then came back and uh, your your marriage helped kind of set the stage for what you were going to do professionally. So tell me a little bit about um you know things you've learned working with the the hotel and the grill and just kind of how life has been and and things that you've worked through and learned and become passionate about in life after
1: athletics well we you know i two years in dallas um europe for five and then um you know realized you met my wife tracy um she's from battleground with gonzaga and then um you know, decided it was time. And then we, my father in law was in the industry of, um, hotel industry. So we, uh, we looked around for different pieces of property and finally found this one here to build something on. I wanted to invest some of the money, a little bit of money I made. And so, um, we built this and, uh, you know, it started out pretty slow. Um, obviously wasn't growing that fast, wasn't much going on. And then all of a sudden as time went along, we, um, we we didn't really think know much about the restaurant business, but we needed a. We wanted to add some more rooms because we had 40 rooms. We wanted to go to 70 rooms, and then or um, add some more rooms. And so we added the restaurant. And um, I used to think I knew a lot about the restaurant business, but I have every day's learning experience. The restaurant business, even after 20 years, it's just uh, it's a whole new beast. Um, it's uh, you know I used to think you serve some serve some food and. Keep it clean and get good staff, and you'll be good to go. But it's it's really, really been an eye opener how the restaurant business runs. Um, we we've been through some different the transition with some staff and all that fun stuff that you get to deal with owning a restaurant. Hotels is is, is not as difficult. Um, it took a while to build up a clientele. Um, we have a, you know, it's been it's I'll be honest, we, we, I'm very fortunate. You know, I, I was, um, I could have went anywhere and played. You know, maybe who knows what might have worked out if I'd have went to UCLA. Who knows? You know, hindsight, you never know. But I stayed at Oregon State, played Oregon State, and I've got a great, I, a lot of the people that come in. There's not a day goes by in the restaurant that you don't see somebody dining that has Oregon State license plates. I mean, I just the, the the people that have supported me in my business from this Oregon State corporate wise, individually wise, it's been a I'm very thankful and very fortunate and want to thank everybody for the support over the last 20 some years of running this business here. Um, I I was lucky that I don't have to travel. I'm not a, you know, I don't have my business. I've been able to get here every day. I've been able to go home every night and um, that's, that's probably the best thing about raising my two kids and and Tracy and I've been married 30 years this year. And so um, the best thing about it, I think was I was able to come and work and spend time here and work on, trying to find new people, marketing, staffing, whatever it might be, maintenance, and still be able to go home every night and uh, and take care of the family, get it raised. A uh, restaurant, like I said, is a, is a new breed, but we've, uh, you know, it, it's it's way different. Every, it seems like it revolves so every, you know, four or five years, but, you know, we'll say we've been in business 20 years of this, uh, this year in that restaurant, we've been open, so it's not many guys in restaurants anymore can stay, they've been in business for 20 years, so um obviously it's even even more difficult now under the circumstances we're in but we've kind of come up into serving dinners from we used to be open breakfast lunch and dinner from six to like 12 and now we're uh now we're only open four to nine tuesday through saturday but once again like i said earlier we got you know clientele that's coming back and supporting this and you know we we're doing a couple hundred meals at night a couple hundred people coming through here so it's uh you know, once again, I'm very thankful. We got a beautiful lake on the back where we can get 29 tables set outside. And so that's, that's the beauty right now with the way things are with the COVID that people can come and sit outside and have a lot of room and, um, got staff down where I, you know, it's, 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 it's good. I, all I'm trying to do is make enough money to pay my taxes. Uh, I haven't got it. You know, it's the first time in my life I haven't got paid. I mean, I, I haven't made any money and since March, but I, I, uh, Hopefully things turn around and I can, you know, get a check. Because when the, you know, it's really hard to choke down paying that that tax payment and 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 you know, they want me to pay my property tax, my quarterly property tax in May, but you know the county and city and school teachers are all still collecting all their checks, but I'm not making any money and and it's kind of hard to choke down. So I, I have learned a lot about. I never was very politically political before um and, and in this thing and the situation we're in it's just it's really been eye-opening for me to see how certain entities operate um a lot of guys I talked to a guy in the parking lot before I came in here a lot of businesses are still making um making as much money or maybe even more than they were before this thing started in March obviously hospitality in my industry got hit very hard I understand that um but hopefully we can come back out of it at the end um but it's just uh It's just really weird how, um, you know, they. I love the state of Oregon and I've lived here my whole life, but I don't know if I can – you know, it's hard to stay here because with the way things are run and and I don't want to be – you know, you guys, you young generation, I'm going to die someday and and you guys are going to be paying a lot of taxes to pay for this stuff. I just hate to break the news to you. But you're – you know, when I was playing the NBA and 50% of my money went to taxes then – I think you know you guys are going to be working for the government for a long time if they figure something out. So I would, I'm. I hope it's not that bad. I keep telling my kids, but it's, uh, it's. It needs to get better before it gets worse. Um, the only saving grace is, I guess, I don't have a business downtown Portland because it's mm-hmm. even worse. Um, but I'm, you know, out here where I'm at in Tualatin, it's been have uh, I've, I've got a lot of great support. I've got a couple companies that are that are run by Oregon State alumni that have been very supportive for the last 20 some years. And uh, I think uh, there's, it, it's interesting how kind of the Beaver guys stick together and kind of help one another out. And I think um, everybody will get through it. It's just going to be painful for some for a while. hmm
0: yeah. One of the things I like to, to talk about, and by the way, yeah, I, I hope the best for the, the restaurant and the hotel. And if anyone wants to go check it out for those listening, it's the the Century Hotel in Tualatin and Hayden's Grill, right? And so um, definitely, you know, check that out in Tualatin. To, to kind of close out, one of the things I like to touch on is just to see how people have grown, not just as athletes, but as people and what they find important and how they've matured and learned about what it means to live a successful life after sports ends. And so if you can think back to when your playing career ended, the day you retired, if you were to to speak a word of advice to that Charlie Sitton you know those years ago of the moment you went from I'm no longer a a professional basketball player to what's next uh what advice might you give yourself to to that version of Charlie Sitton
1: well I think the, the, the good question I I you gotta you gotta if everybody when they get done could just take a step back or two steps back and appreciate what they had and then you know as you move forward there's going to be a lot of ups and downs um it's if it's family or if it's business or if it's you know life's supposed to get your your parents get older and then you you deal with that kind of stuff and so they're they're always there's always going to be hurdles but you just kind of gotta you gotta kind of take a step back and and um and make sure you, you, you let it kind of evolve before you kind of jump in and make too many drastic decisions i guess rash decisions is what i would what I would say it's um it changes I mean I mean we've who would have thought we'd have to be dealing with what we're dealing with today you know I mean it's just life throws curveballs at you and you just gotta you gotta you find out who your friends really are and you um and you just kind of got to you know hunker down and, and and it goes back to what I first said I think hard work helps helps me a lot um because I can stick my head in the sand and, and, and work harder and not let try to let all the outside things that are going on in the world kind of, you know, get a guy down. Um, the hardest thing I had to deal with playing when I was done playing and it seems kind of silly, but it took me years to get over when the days got short. Like when the it gets dark at five o'clock, I mean, I, I was always in a gym, you know, I, I, I was never, you know, so when I was done playing, it was five o'clock. It was dark. I love to be outside. I love to, you know, golf, fish, hunt, you know, whatever it is. Um, and and you can do all that stuff in the summer. But when the days get short, it's hard to do all that stuff. Weather changes. That was the hardest part for me. Was those days, um, you know, November when the basketball season should be going on and you're in the gym and. And it's dark at five and you're like, wow, I don't want to go and go to sleep. You know, like, So it was it took a while to find something, you know, go to the gym, work out something to keep your, you know, to kind of go that that still to this day. That's the hardest thing for me to get over from not playing is is um, is when the days get short and, and you're not in a gym practice. And I think that's that's the stuff that was hard for me. But I, you know, it's it's, um you know, le- reach out resources, you know, you got to use your, uh, you know, you got to use your, your, your base around you to, you know, networking, you got to use your networking base to whatever business you're in. Um, like I said earlier, there's a lot of, I've had, I've, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of Beaver fans support me for the last 25 years in the business I've been in. And hopefully I've given some back to them and, and helped other people. I hope I have, I hope people think the same thing of me, but, um, that's, uh, that's the thing is it, it Oregon state is pretty, pretty unique. And I hope it, I hope it can stay that way as we move forward here. Um, as far as, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours and we can kind of all work together and get through whatever it might be.
0: Yeah. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for your time, Charlie, and reminiscing about Oregon state and everything since then. Uh, good luck with everything going forward with the hotel and the grill. And thanks again for coming on the podcast today. No,
1: no problem. You got any other questions? You know how to get hold of me. So let me know.
0: Well, that was really fun to talk with a legendary Oregon State basketball player. Just an honor to chat with Charlie Sitton and fun to hear his stories. The Jack Anderson connection, I didn't expect that to come up. And his following of Oregon State baseball, I'll use that little clip in the Beaver baseball documentary that I'm making of, you know, Jack Anderson's story and getting cut from the team and then to see what Charlie Sitton had to say about his path and Charlie's appreciation for Jack Anderson's story. I'll throw a little side storyline in there in the documentary. Those are some of the pieces that you'll be able to hear in this project that's coming out later this year. Again, thanks to Charlie Sitton for coming on the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and check out the website for the Beaver Tales documentaries. There's a link in the description and learn more about uh, this great project that all Beaver fans and just sports fans and, and people who love good stories will enjoy. Until next time on the Beaver Tales podcast, I've been your host, Josh Warden. Good night and go be.